meteorologist Joe Martucci. It is that time of the month, the beginning of the month, and it is time for our Something in the Air podcast, recapping the month of October. We are here on this cold for November Friday, and join with me, New Jersey State climatologist Dr. Dave Robinson. How you doing? Good to be with you. I'm just fine. Are you uh, are you a fan of this early season? You know, ten to fifteen degree below average cold. I always like a good cold outbreak to to a point, okay. um, but uh, you know we're gonna have to see what this one has in store in terms of how long it lasts and whether some precipita- wintry precipitation comes along to parts of the state uh, to join in. I should say that at late last evening, the seventh of November, there was snow falling up at High Point. Got it. I was actually going to ask you that. Do we have do we have any measurable snowfall in New Jersey from that? I know I did not have anything more confirmed than just a trace of snow falling. And I even had someone send me a video. It was over about fifteen hundred feet elevation. So you really had to be up there high um, last evening to see see the first flakes of the season fall in New Jersey. We had none reported um, through yesterday evening. Got it. And you know, before we get into the uh, to last month, let's uh, let's do a little plug here for Coco Ross because we're getting to that time of year where uh, people are paying attention, maybe a little bit more to the weather for better or for worse. You just uh, explain what Coco Ross is and how one can join and how it's helpful during the winter. Yeah, Coco Coco Ross is a community collaborative rain, hail, and snow network. It is in New Jersey. It's part of a national network. We have almost 300 active citizen scientists who will go out after uh, every day or whenever they have the time to do so and report the uh, last day's precipitation, whether it didn't precipitate or not. Um, Last month, we had one event where we had 260 people report in a one-day period. Um, they have a standard rain gauge that can be purchased. Uh, it's a cheap hobby uh, for under $40. You can make yourself a snowboard out of plywood and get a ruler. Um, there's all sorts of online training materials um, that people can follow. And uh, get out and become a citizen scientist and, and join in the uh, Coco Ross network. Uh, sure. It's wonder- wonderfully important information. Um, It was telling us how dry we were getting back in September. Uh, It told us how wet we became in parts of the state um, in in October. And now when the flakes start flying, it's absolutely fabulous information on where the snow fell, how much snow fell, um, how long it sat on the ground. Sure, sure. And how many active people do we have in the southern half of the state? Would you be able to venture a guess? Uh, I would say it's under 75 to 100. Uh, We could use a lot more observers in uh, Salem, uh, Atlantic, Cumberland. We've got a better turnout in Cape May County. Okay. A few down in Cape May, so kudos to them. Kudos to everyone. But the southern half of the state has fewer than parts of the northern part of the state. Uh, big counties, uh, Monmouth County, Morris County, um, Somerset County, um, 
there just seems to be a hotbed of interest in those locations. But we really would like to see more people from the south. Now, granted, it's less densely populated in the southern part of the state. So we need a stronger percentage of the population turnout down there. Yeah, and uh, our Fred Akers, who I know you know, is the Atlantic County rep. Is that, that's correct. Atlantic County, correct? Correct. He's correct. fabulous. He's been yeah. a long, long contributor to the Coco Ross program. Yeah, he's great. And if you go to the Coco Ross website, um, you can find out how to sign up. And actually, we did an article and a video last year uh, about it. So if you look up Press of AC, Coco Ross, C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S, you should be able to see it there. You can see how to sign up. We actually got... A couple of turnouts from the story last year, and uh, we'll hope to continue. And we at the press are also a Coco Ross uh, member, and I will uh, be the first to admit that I did not report this morning, but that was because I literally ran in to talk to you. Uh, but you will get one. There will be one today. That's great. I, I can't say enough for this citizen scientist that contribute their time and their expertise to really helping everyone in the state um, because this information is used. Um, by transportation officials, emergency management officials, the National Weather Service um, for flood forecasting, for instance. So it's really a measurable help. It's not just because it's a hobby and it's interesting, which of course it is, but Absolutely. it really has very important implications. I, I, I failed to say agriculture. Mosquito commissions are interested in it um, because it helps them with their, their spraying and eradication schedules and, and on and on and on. Sure. Yeah, it, it's a great program. I'm, I always tell, try to tell people if you're interested in weather, like you said, uh, Dr. Robinson, it's a cheap way to get involved with weather. And you, it's always kind of fun just tracking what everyone else is getting. How Did you have the most rain? Did you have the least rain? Did you have most snow, least snow? So it's a very valuable tool. Uh, so let's change from something uh, precipitation-wise to temperature, uh, something that Coco Ross does not do, but you are more than welcome to put it in the comments uh, that is in the Coco Ross uh, app. But tell us about temperatures during the month of October in South Jersey. When we spoke last year, or excuse me, last month, it was on that 96-degree day at Atlantic City International Airport. Things changed since then. We didn't have any more 90 degree days after that. No, we didn't. But arguably, the 2nd of October was uh, the warmest October day on record in New Jersey. Records going back over a century. If it wasn't the warmest, it was the second or third warmest, depending where you are. Uh, up here in New Brunswick, it was the warmest at 95 degrees. We had not seen that temperature uh, previously achieved in New Brunswick back with records back to 1893. Um, so, but uh, you're right, it, it did cool off a little bit as the month went on, but what might be surprising to people, um, Southern New Jersey had its 10th warmest October on record, and that's back to 1895, uh, 3.8 degrees above average. Um, and looking at the coastal sliver where there are a few stations and narrow band along the coast, it was the seventh warmest. Uh, October on record, uh, more so in minimum temperatures than maximum temperatures. And you and I have talked about this in the past. Um, in a globally warming world, we're seeing the minimum temperatures increase faster than the maximum temperatures. Uh, you just can't get the daytime heat back out to space at night um, because there's more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that slow the departure of that daytime heat. 
during the nighttime interval. So, uh, and, and it was a little cloudier in, in, in October because it was a pretty wet month, which I know you'll ask me about next probably. Yes, I was actually. Uh, tell us about precipitation during the month of October, and then we'll dive in a little bit more into uh, the drought that we had, and now we're not in, uh, or at least most places are not in anymore. Right. Yeah, it, it was really beneficial rains fell in October. Um, September had been our driest month of any month in over a decade in New Jersey. Um, we were concerned about short-term moisture in the soils, the fire danger. Our, our groundwater, uh, our reservoirs in the northern part of the state were in, still in good shape. Rivers were beginning to decline. Um, and along came uh, along came October. Uh, South Jersey came in with on average 5.28 inches of rain. That's 1.65 inches above average, uh, ranking it 20th, 20th wettest. Um, the coastal Jersey ranked 28th wettest. Um, South Jersey was the driest part of the state, particularly Cape May County, southern, the lower portion of Cape May County, and, and even more specifics. Uh, in, in October, um, nor the state overall, it was the 15th wettest October. But again, down in South Jersey, uh, only the 19th. Could you say that the uh, Cape May bubble was added again? Yeah, it was added again. Uh, the, the rains just uh, kind of avoided that peninsular part of the uh, uh, of the county, um, keeping it a little bit in abnormally dry conditions when you look back over 60 and 90 days. Um, but we really climbed out of what was an increasingly worrisome situation around the state. Um, as we now sit, southwest part of the state around Salem County is still a little abnormally dry. Um, there's a section up in uh, kind of northern Burlington into Mercer, a little bit of Somerset, Middlesex County. They're a little abnormally dry. And then the Cape May Peninsula. And that I'm talking about deficits of precipitation that go back 60 and 90 days. Um, if you look back that far, other parts of the state have been a little below average, but rains of late have really perked things up. Uh, we went a little downhill after we spoke last time. In the first half of October, we were falling into um, the first category of drought in the National Drought Monitor, what we call D1. Um, that's considered moderate drought. It's really kind of minor to moderate drought. And that was beginning to spread. Um, but with the rains of the second half of the month, that D1 got wiped away and only these aforementioned small pockets of D0 or abnormally dry remain, and the rest of the state's kind of close to average. Sure, yeah, and you were talking about minor and moderate drought before, and I, I believe when I'm talking to people, you know, people just think drought, like drought is drought, but there's different levels to it, and could we talk about the different levels to drought and you know, kind of real brief, I think we talked about this last month too, but like how frequent, you know, these kind of events happen? Yeah, yeah. The, you know, there are so many definitions of drought. Um, I kind of alluded to earlier with agriculture, um, with stream flow, um, with groundwater. Um, there are agricultural droughts, there are hydrologic droughts. 
Um, but generally, the type of dry weather we were experiencing in September was something we might see every five to 10 years, um, especially September itself, maybe even a little rarer than that. But when you looked at the, the end of summer, the 60, 90 day period, um, as we got into early October, it was something we, we don't see more than about once every decade uh, in terms of dryness. So it, you need to heighten your awareness when we get to that point, because it doesn't take more than another dry month or two to slip into something that's more uncommon. Right. So we were teased. I like to say we, this was what we call a flash drought, um, where very quickly you get into a, a worrisome dry situation. And it generally happens in, in this warm season. And again, we were top 10 warmth for September. I talked to some water company official in North Jersey and customers use more water in September than they did in July. And that's because they started watering their lawns uh, in the late season and didn't need to in July. So that's when you can quickly get into these flash drought situations, um, but you can get out of them pretty quickly as well. Um, thus, ultimately you say, well, we're kind of teased a little bit. Got it. Got it. Looking uh, kind of beyond drought a little bit, uh, full foliage here in New Jersey. We are in, uh, in Pleasantville, New Jersey. We still have a couple of trees that are fully leaved, but changing over. Um, how did you see the weather factors that went into what you would say a, a, a good fall foliage throughout the fall months? Yeah, it was a real mixed bag. Um, you had trees that are shallow rooted that were feeling the effects of the dry late August and, and very dry September. And we're losing their leaves in a very uncolorful fashion um, by the end of September, early October. Um, but then with the rain, the later trees and also the trees that were deep rooted, taking advantage of all the moisture we had earlier in the year, they did okay. Um, we had enough cool nights come in, <clears throat> which really helps with the color. We did, it got stormy near the end of the month, which helped to blow a lot of those leaves off the trees. So, and we had a couple of really nice Saturdays, but we had a couple of miserable Sundays. So people didn't get out to look at the leaves mm -hmm. on some of the weekends. So I, I would say in total, um, uh, not a disaster, um, certainly not one of the best years and, and overall really a mixed bag. Yeah. I would agree. You know, just kind of just from driving around, I think uh, you saw some trees that were looking great. I mean, I was in Wharton State Forest uh, a couple of weeks ago and you saw some real vibrant colors. And then I'm driving and, you know, around here in Pleasantville and it's not so great. It, it really was a little patchy here. But overall, I, I, I think I still enjoyed uh, and I hope many people did, too, as we went through the, uh, the month. A little bit late, too. We didn't talk about that. Mm -hmm. We off a little late because we were warm in September. We were warm in October. Um, yeah. And we didn't have widespread freeze from something we may want to talk about a little bit, the yeah. areas that haven't, haven't yet had a freezing temperature. Yeah, so let's drive into it. Uh, we did get our first uh, frost and freeze of the year during October. Now, this is nothing unusual. This is typically when we drop you know below 32 sometimes. But you know, looking at South Jersey, um, 
where did we stack up according to or compared to where we typically see our first freezes and frosts? Um, and tell us what places have yet to see, if any, a freeze or a frost. Yeah, it, it's a little late this year. Uh, a, a little late. Um, inland interior sections of South Jersey have seen their first freeze, but there's essentially no one along the coast has seen the first freeze yet. Now that's probably going to change within the next couple of days. If not the next matter of fact, it changed <laughs> this very morning up the coast at Seagirt, which had its first freeze up in southern Monmouth County along the coast. And even up in the Meadowlands at Lyndhurst, our station up there had its first freeze this morning. So backing off a little bit, the state's first freeze occurred up in a cold valley location in northwest Jersey on October 4th, late in the evening, up at Walpack. Yes, two days after we were in the 90s. Um, by, by the next morning, uh, on the morning of the 5th, a handful of stations up in the northwest part of the state got below freezing. And it wasn't until the 19th that freeze came back and was a little more widespread. And that's when Vineland in Cumberland County, Woodbine, yep. North Cape May County, Mullica, um, just to the west of AC, and Piney Hollow out in west, eastern Gloucester County, they all fell below freezing for the first time. So South Jersey had its first localized freeze on the 19th. Mm -hmm. um, but it really wasn't fourth of this month that some other places joined in. Cape May Courthouse, Dennis, uh, Egg Harbor Township, um, South Harrison, uh, the Atlantic City Airport. They all drop below freezing for the first time this season on the 4th of November. And here, if I can quickly rattle off those locations that have yet to see a freeze. Let's now, do again, it. This is as of you know mid-morning on the 8th of, of uh, November. Um, coming down the coast, um, Seaside Heights, Harvey Cedars, Atlantic city marina oh, i miss point pleasant up north um they have not um i'm just looking at my list uh, on the along the um, delaware bay coast bivalve fortescue lower alloways creek township none of those coastal re regions have gotten below uh freezing yet uh, nor have some urban areas up north, uh, the hearts of Newark. Uh, Jersey City, our station at Liberty State Park, did fall below freezing on the 4th. But as you can see, there's still you know, a, a, a fair bit of uh, coastal New Jersey has not seen the first freeze. They've only gotten into the you know, mid-30s range. So that doesn't mean they haven't seen frost because you know, we're talking about temperatures measured in a screen enclosure about five to six feet above the surface. That doesn't mean that on several occasions already, the grass or your car windshield, or maybe even the rooftop of your home hasn't gotten rid of that heat of the de previous day and dropped to the freezing point where frost is formed. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between the first frost and the first freeze. Yeah, and I think, uh, of course, if you're in agriculture, you know that, but maybe not everybody does. And how warm of an air temperature, could you say, which is usually measured about two meters, could you have and still have frost at ground level? What would you say is that upper threshold? 
upper 30s. I, I've seen frost where the shelter's telling you it's 38, 37, yeah. 38. Um, and that would be extremely calm conditions um, so that there's no mixing of the cold. The, the ground just gets rid of that cold on a calm, clear, has to be clear yes. night with very low levels of, of relative humidity in, in the atmosphere. And that allows those surfaces to cool off, whereas just two meters, you know, as you said, six feet above the surface, it's still five, six degrees above freezing. And if you've been uh, following along and uh, reading, you probably heard me talk about it uh, a bunch of times over the past couple of weeks. It's called radiational cooling, which allows that uh, process yeah, to and, occur. And, and let's face it, you're going to see that more at 33, 34, 35 degrees. Sure, um, sure. And, and a lot of these coastal locations have gotten near that point, although mm -hmm. some haven't, haven't dropped that quite that far. We're going to be keeping an eye on it. I, I, as I said, I, I think we're going to turn a corner with this cold weather that's coming in. And mind you, at the same time, the air is getting colder. The waters along the coast are getting warmer. And that's what's really kept the temperatures up at the coast so far. So as they cool, you lose that defense, if you will, uh, and the growing season will end. Uh, ask where this is unusual. It, it's a little bit late. Um, but I'll tell you, I can't remember how many years ago it was that Atlantic City Marina didn't hit the freezing mark until the first week of January. <laughs> I mean, nice and balmy, I'm sure. We have records back at Atlantic City Marina to um, the 1870s. And that by almost two weeks was the latest we had ever seen the first freeze. But it's not out of the question in some mild Novembers and Octobers, not to see the first freeze right at the coast until Thanksgiving time. So sure. I don't think it's not going to make it this year. I think we've, we've got a pretty cold pattern set up for the next 10, 10 days to two weeks. And I think we'll see the entire state go below freezing. Sure. And maybe I'm asking in the weeds question, but would you say it's easier for the first freeze along the Atlantic coast or the Delaware Bay, like a Fortescue or a bivalve? That, that's a great question. Um, I would say, well, our stations right along the coast of Delaware Bay are right next to the water. I I've mean, seen it. Right there. Um, yep. Yeah. Atlantic City Marina is. Um, Seagirt, you have to throw a stone over the dunes, but then again, they just got down to freezing this morning. Um, so maybe it's 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 as difficult because the heat may be retained a little longer in the bay. I, I don't know, but we haven't had, you know, and that brings up a really good point, Joe. We we haven't had stations in Fortescue, Lower Alloys Creek, and Bivalve for many years at all. We just didn't have weather records perched right up there on the Delaware Bay coast, thus making it difficult to answer your question. We've had stations at Atlantic City Marina for way over a century, down in Cape May for a much longer time, and, and up the coast in Long Branch. Um, so there we have a much better feel for the long term. Kind of amazing, too, because, I mean, the Delaware Bay historically was such a, a valuable spot for oyster farming and, and you know, different seaports and there was there was tourism down there. I'm surprised. I mean, are, are you saying there was never really a weather station there, period, or never one of the ones that under your control? No, not a weather station, period. Hmm. Um, you That's had to go into Belfast State Forest or up to Seabrook Farms, right. Cumberland County, and those are inland by 
you know, miles. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Seabrook Farms is in Upper Deerfield. And, you know, for people, I'm sure many people know, Upper Deerfield is just west of Vineland. So it's not, you're not talking a coastal town uh, for over there. So with all of this, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you had Millville in there too, but that's inland. So you didn't have these stations, these cooperative stations of the National Weather Service hugging the coast there. Hmm. So, so wow. that's exciting. We're learning a lot about it now because we've got our stations there. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah keep, keep up the good work. We always appreciate it. And the Lower Always Creek one, I believe that's a relatively new station, correct? Yeah, that's only a little more. Time flies. I, a year or is it two now? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, uh, very new. I know it's within my time here, so it had to be you know two at most. But uh, talking about the cold weather, we'll, we'll cap off on, I think, everybody's favorite topic, which is what is the winter going to bring? And um, you, depending on when you're hearing this, either the article came out in the video or it's coming out. It will be out the first weekend of November talking about the winter forecast. Uh, we spoke with some with a couple of long range forecasters, one that you know pretty well, Judah Cohen. Uh, he's very big on Twitter for his uh, sub seasonal forecasting uh, and even some long range forecasting. But uh, one thing when Judah and I were talking, we were talking about your Rutgers Global Snow Lab, and he has a theory. Um, Admittedly, to, if you asked him, it hasn't been performing as well as it has in the past, but basically it says the more snow in Siberia you see during the month of October, the better chance for a colder and potentially snowier winter in the Northeast. And, you know, we don't have to necessarily go back and forth on some merits on it, but just kind of give us an overview for what you're seeing, how the snowpack has been and why that snowpack, whether it's in Siberia or elsewhere, matters for our winter in the Northeast. Yeah, great questions. Uh, well, the fact is, we, we do maintain here um, a, a, a database of satellite-derived snow cover extent over the northern hemisphere continents. That goes back over 50 years. And this October, the snow extent over these continents was the fifth most extensive in over 50 years. Despite this being one of the warmest Octobers globally on record, there's it was early snow cover up in northern parts of North America and over in Eurasia in Siberia. Um, the theorization is that there's some tie between that early snow developing high pressure patterns in the atmosphere over Siberia, which translate themselves literally through the stratosphere over to the North Atlantic, which then translates down to the lower part of the atmosphere, which can derive uh, drive pressure patterns, uh, what some people call the North Atlantic Oscillation, uh, during the subsequent winter. And that early snow in Siberia tends to lead to a negative North Atlantic Oscillation, and with that, more storminess here in eastern North America. Uh, everybody follow that? I mean, there, it's, it's, <laughs> we need yeah. a diagram. Yeah, quite a few steps uh, along the way. And there's a little bit of skill with that, but as Judah, who is one of the prime uh, pioneers with looking at this, will tell you that the relationships haven't held too much uh, recently. And that may in part due to something we've been finding here in our lab, while spring snow cover extent is plummeting, decade after decade, we're losing snow earlier in the spring. We're not seeing big changes in the middle of the winter, but interestingly enough, in the last decade, we're beginning to see more snow cover in the fall. So 
so what was a kind of a, an occasional thing back in the, the early part of this century, the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, is becoming more regular seeing this snow. And I think that's throwing Judah's um, technique, his methodology off. And, and it's an area of really interesting early research. Um, and there's been a, just a little bit in the literature that it may be associated somewhat with more open water in the Arctic, and it's changing uh, pressure patterns in the in the northern hemisphere in the fall, um, blocking ridges of high pressure, troughs of low pressure, and it's setting it uh, the the middle higher parts of the middle of the continents up to getting earlier snowfall. It's it, it may be a little milder than in the past, but it's still cold enough to snow and we're feeding moisture into these areas. So it's really interesting research, cutting edge research, uh, just beginning to be recognized. So, so that's, that's one little tool that some extended uh, forecasters use. Um, you know, more commonly you see them use things like whether there's an El Nino event or a La Nina event in the tropical Pacific. And the fact is there's neither. We're kind of what we call ENSO neutral right now. And frankly, that helps, that diminishes the skill. Hello? Skill. When neither are, are in place, it opens the door to influences from all different directions, including the North Atlantic, but also the North Pacific uh, and, and elsewhere. So the skill in any forecast you hear for this coming winter is among the weakest that we see in these long range winter forecasts. So well, I guess what I'm telling you is be careful what you hear um, and believe this year, even more so than a number of other years. Yeah, yeah, good, good point. Um, you know, and it was uh, to, to your point about Judah, I think uh, he will admit that the connection is not as much there. But I was doing a talk on Monday. Uh, shout out to everyone in the North Cape May seniors group. And I was, you know, I said, how many people know about El Nino and La Nina? And everyone raised their hand. And I said, well, what happens if there's no El Nino and La Nina? And like people laugh, like they didn't even know. So, yes, there are times where you don't necessarily have to have either or. And uh you know, it, it does make it, as you said, more confusing. Although I will say, when I spoke with our WeatherWorks long-range meteorologist, he was feeling pretty good based on analogs uh, from other years. However, of course, you know, every a winter forecast isn't a day-by-day -day forecast. It is a generality, and there's some days where you may see a storm. You know, if you get one storm and there's 20 inches of snow, was it really an above-average winter? I think that's another question. Maybe we'll have to dive into another yeah. time. But well, we, yeah, we can talk about long range because frankly, there's hardly there's very limited scale in New Jersey for any long range forecasting. Mm -hmm. um, so if anyone's real confident in their winter outlook, I suggest they look again. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just hate to be the saltpeter here. That's OK. Winter, winter outlooks. But uh, we here in New Jersey are influenced by you know, we're halfway between the poles and the equator. So between the polar regions and the tropics, we've got wonderful ocean off to our east and this large continent to our west. So we're kind of 
under the influence of all of these and the kind of squeeze play, I like to call it. And that makes long range forecasting exceedingly difficult for this region. Network, go to njweather.org and we'd love you to visit and, and, and even consider the Kokoraz, becoming a Kokoraz contributor. Yes, join Kokoraz. Join it. It's great. You'll love it. And you'll get to hang out with, uh, you'll get to chat with us every once in a while, too. Uh, so we'll wrap it up there. Love to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Robinson, for the time. We really appreciate it. We'll be back with you the beginning of December. We'll try to get it closer to the first of the month uh, for you next time. But uh, until then, this is Something in the Air Weather Podcast. I'm meteorologist Joe Martucci for Dr. Dave Robinson. Have a great month, everybody. And happy Thanksgiving, too. We'll be back with you uh, with Dave Robinson as we go into our own December.